we're not talking about anything uh, anything good, though. Unfortunately, this is a story that captivated a lot of our attentions. It happened on May 5th, and uh, it was... The story of a mom and child brutally killed 35-year-old Caroline Robillard and her daughter Sarah Miller, 11 years old, who actually went by the name Jaden, uh, killed by 33-year-old Morator Arcangelo Machar. Now, previously, Machar had attacked, completely unprovoked, a child on the LRT, chasing him and physically attacking him. He was sentenced to nine months in prison, but was released three months later, and it was then that he attacked this mom and child killing them. Now, he had also, we had other priors as well, uh, an incident where he uh, he opened up a can of bear spray on a bus. And the question really becomes, as we're all searching for reasons as to why these situations happen that are so tragic and so needless in our community, how was he able to reoffend? Why was he out? And why is this a storyline that we're hearing so frequently, this idea of this catch and release program? We're going to get into it right now with our guest, who's an, excuse me, an associate professor of sociology at Queen's University, Dr. Nicole Myers. Dr. Myers, thanks so much for making the time to talk about this. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I think it's a really important conversation for us to have. It is. And this story is not the only one that we have heard that is similar to this, that sort of, that, that, that really, I think, makes us all wonder, what are we doing with criminals and why are they able to reoffend? I mean, this is a storyline that we've heard before, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It, it absolutely is. I mean, these incredibly tragic events, they, they happen. They galvanize a great deal of public attention, understandably, because we're, we should all be deeply, deeply concerned uh, about acts of incredible violence, particularly by folks who have had contact with the criminal justice system at one point or another. Is this is this a, a, a more complex issue than maybe we are, um, you know, immediately reacting to when we hear these stories? Because I think what it, what it does is it elicits this really emotional reaction action and you feel really angry and you feel really frustrated wondering why these people could be out on bail but is it more complex than that is there a mental health component that maybe we don't understand as a general public why are why are criminals allowed to be out and able to reoffend in situations like this Um, I mean, these things are complex. I mean, and and it's one of the challenges why with why when we look to, for example, legislation or law reform as the as the way to fix it, they don't they're not often able to because these are the kinds of problems that are not going to simply be fixed by by changing the law Mm -hmm. that we need to be thinking about what is it that got somebody into the situation that they're doing these kinds of things. And where as a society are we able to intervene to try to disrupt this trajectory and prevent things from happening in the future? One of the things that I think we need to be mindful however is that however we choose to approach this should be based in empirical evidence on things that we know work that we know are effective and there's a lot of things that we do or that sort of that we put forward because we feel outrage and and fear and and passion about something that we end up sort of advocating for the kinds of reforms that are not going to get us to better public safety so um so can you expand on that a little bit dr myers like what are some of the things that do work what are some of the paths that we should be going down Absolutely. I mean, some of the most important things, um, and certainly gaining a lot of attention these days, is investments in mental health, um, into how how to best work with um, folks who are using substances, and when that substance use then involves uh, contact with the with the criminal justice system, what are our options there? We can think about uh, issues of inequality in terms of racial discrimination. We can also think of inequality in terms of. Um, 
income or stability in terms of your housing. So being able to provide more interventions and helps and supports to folks who are dealing with mental health, substance use, poverty, um, these have some of the best markers of success for preventing crimes before they ever actually happen. And then how to best engage with somebody once it's happened so that we can try to prevent these things in the future. Well, we have often a very visceral and strong uh, desire to perhaps punish somebody harshly to, to send them away to custody. And, and sometimes that's absolutely necessary. But we need to be careful about sort of acknowledging that, one, we're not very good at predicting who is going to be a most risky person and who's not going to be. And that we do know that putting people in custody is not only incredibly expensive, it's criminogenic. It makes people more, not less likely to commit further offenses. And so if we're trying to think of the best way to achieve public safety, we want to be sort of really mindful about going necessarily with the piece that might feel good, but is going to perhaps cause more harm and create a more dangerous person in the future. Yeah, it does. It does feel good because you do want someone who is, quote unquote, bad, who's doing terrible things, uh, out killing innocent people, attacking children Mm -hmm. to be punished. But, you know, as you just mentioned, some of these behaviors aren't predictable and you don't necessarily know who is going to commit a crime. So, you know, I wonder as we as we do feel frustrated with these situations, are we just being too gentle on situations that are violent? I'm not sure if it's necessarily a matter of being terribly gentle. I mean, and I don't, I don't say that in broad strokes. There's just going to absolutely be examples where we can say that maybe somebody got this wrong, and perhaps we haven't imposed what the proper thing is. But if we if we step back from that and say sort of broadly, we're we're doing a fairly decent job of capturing folks and then demonstrating that they are the one that actually did something beyond a reasonable doubt, and then we sentence and hold them accountable. But our, one of our challenges is that our criminal justice system is overloaded with more minor offending. Um, folks who have been charged with uh, offenses that we're certainly still ser- we're concerned about and we want people to be held accountable for, but in the realm of all of the seriousness, there's a lot of really minor things. Mm. And then the system takes an incredibly long time to process people through, which again is delaying their accountability. So we, we want to think about in it, you know, times of we don't have infinite resources, who do we best want to focus our attention on? Who do we want to target? Those who are the most risky? those who are the most violent and that some of the cost of that is that we need to be more creative about thinking about what to do with other people who've done more minor things so that again we can focus on that which is most serious yeah and i think expanding our understanding on what is prison for i mean is it for mm-hmm. holding prisoners accountable or is it for reform and where does it stand right now i mean which one does it which one does it lean more towards right now well, it, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think we can have sort of our ideals and what it looks like on the ground and in practice. I mean, prisons are, are horrifying places. They are not, no, people are not happy to be there. And it is an opportunity to, to engage in intervention, to engage in rehabilitation. But not only do we need the resources in there, but we want to be then very careful about thinking people, for example, who are being denied bail. Okay, so they've, they've been accused of an offense. They, we haven't proven it yet. And there's reasons why we don't punish people before we've proven their guilt. But we are holding a lot of people in pretrial detention. So, like, for, for example, right now in, in Alberta, Alberta, 76% of people in provincial jails are in pretrial detention. So we don't have a lenient bail system. But what we're doing then is we're incarcerating people on the front end where it's often described as dead time. There's nothing to do. There's no programming. There's no re- 
rehabilitation. You're simply waiting for your time in court. And then that what that does is it then minimizes the amount of time after someone's been convicted to engage in the kind of rehabilitative programming that we know can be effective in changing someone's behavior. So in a situation like this, and Mashar, who, uh, who murdered this mom and child, when someone like that is released, is it, is it to save money? a resource thing. I mean, one of the, one of the questions I'd have to ask is, is when you say release, release from where? So people can be released at the front end of the system when we have things like the presumption of innocence and the right to reasonable bail. And we also then have people on the other end where it's now been proven beyond a reasonable doubt you've done this or you've admitted your guilt and we're now imposing a sentence to sanction and punish you for that behavior. Where do you see areas where we're getting it right? Because I think we hear some of these stories and we just assume that it's all bad. And we hear these terms like catch and release and we assume that it's happening all of the time. But are, do we have more to be proud of here in Canada or here in Alberta than we realize? I think we have a tremendous amount to be proud of. I think, you know, we can think about whether that is the, you know, the hardworking efforts of police officers, if that is the courts that are doing their very best to move people through in, in a timely fashion and to uh, to judges being sort of precise about trying to figure out what the best sentencing option is and into a correction system that certainly has many, many issues. But again, if we reflect on it on a more international scale, I do think there's elements that we can be, that we can be proud of. Um, but being, you know, I also think as much as there are elements to be proud of, we have to be critical of all of those elements and components and think about how is it we can do this better and how is it that we can strive what I think everybody would agree on. We want to feel safe in our communities. How do we best do that and how do we best make sure that we're not causing further harm um, when we're really trying to make things better? In in the situation that I keep referring to about this mom and this child and, mm-hmm. uh, and the accused, um, Mashar, what in a situation like that would have been a better option, in your opinion? I, I, I mean, not not knowing all sort of the, the the details of the not only allegedly what happened, but but about the individual sure. and their you know their long history. Um, but uh, it, it sounds like there's someone who had contact with the system, which tells us there were opportunities for intervention at some point. But it should also tell us that the contact with the criminal justice system wasn't what was able to protect us. The criminal justice system, which we often look to to respond to, is not capable of doing many of the things we want it to do. That it's uh, our, our police can't, our courts can't, our corrections can't. We as a community need to. And it means investing in communities, investing in people from early on in life and providing this sort of support through life. Um, and the, the difficulty is, of course, these things are expensive, but we either pay for it on the front end or we pay for it on the back end. And some of the question that comes back to us is, what are we really interested in? Do we want short-term public safety that may be gained by keeping somebody in custody for uh, certain more days, more months, more years? Or do we really want long-term public safety? And how do we best then invest in that? Right. Dr. Myers, thanks so much for sharing uh, all of your work on this and your perspective. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you. Take care. Bye. That's Dr. Nicole Myers, Associate Professor of Sociology at Queen's University, talking about bail reform and uh, the way that we treat prisoners and uh, try to deal and come to terms with as a society uh, what happens and the feelings that it invokes when they reoffend.